fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about an attempted fascist coup on the American government with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? (laughs) Doing okay, all things considered. We're in, like, complete lockdown. Apparently there's going to be a curfew very soon. Yes, uh, I already saw that uh, Quebec has some curfews going on, and somebody blasted on a loudspeaker the uh, the purge music <laughs> once the curfew kicked in. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the purge movies or not. Um, yeah, I've watched the first one, but I haven't watched like the series of them. So that would be slightly horrifying. But I mean, the, the funny thing about the curfew is like I've already not been leaving my house ever, so. <laughs> It really doesn't matter. Yeah. Another thing, though, I'm wondering is, like, there are certain small things that people can't get around. And I'm wondering how they're going to enforce that. Like, for instance, I live in an apartment building. I need to go walk my dog so he can, you know, relieve himself. Yeah, I saw that you're actually, uh, that'll be um, exempt in the law, that you'll be allowed to do that. Oh, okay. See, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> I was kind of like, is, is my dog going to just piss himself? Like, what is he going to do, right? <laughs> I saw some article that showed that, like, what, I could walk my dog, but, like, I can't take my human partner for a walk? And I was like, well, hopefully your human partner's not crapping on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. I feel, it's, it's, like, weird because, like, before we even started recording, we were talking about how you know, things are going to get better. We're close to the end. But then at the same time, it's like, I feel like we're at the beginning of things getting much worse as well. It's it's just a weird place to be in. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see because I don't want to... Jinx it? No, just like over panic about the... Yeah. About the situation. And I'm also at the point too where I'm like, I need to fucking get out of this house. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> uh, you and me both. But anyways, it is the start of a new month. I, I, I This is going to sound bad, but I did not uh, announce last episode <laughs> that we were going on vacation. But part of the reason why we go on vacation is because at the end of the year, around Christmas and New Year's, the Rebel just uh, posts, uh, you know, the best of 2020 kind of crap, right? And since we cover them all the time, there's no point in going over their best of. So uh, we went away for a bit. But now we're back, and because it's a new month, that means we have a patron shout-out. We would like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News Podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We would also like to thank Vienno, Nicholas, and Michael, our foreign-funded environmentalists. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, My message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you? Lastly, we would like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joel Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch. You start from scratch. And that's crazy. You start from scratch. Testosterone flowing. You start from scratch. 
and that's crazy, crazy, crazy. Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperial news. Now the imperial roundup. <laughs> Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from January 4th to January 8th. Ezra and Spencer Fernando are mad that even in the face of COVID restrictions that they believe are unnecessary, politicians went on vacation over the holidays. They agree that all these politicians deserve blowback for this shitty behavior, and I agree. They don't point out that most of these politicians are conservative, because that would be too difficult to deal with, but at least they acknowledge this behavior is shitty in the first place. Ezra claims that they created a new variant name, the UK variant, just to scare people. He then says the South African variant is even scarier, and eventually they are really going to scare us by calling it Ebola. But I, I guess it didn't sound scary enough, this UK variant, so they came up with a new South African mutation of the virus. That's much scarier, I guess. Maybe they'll call it the Ebola coronavirus if they need some real shock value and are running out of ideas. Why South African is scarier than the UK and why Ebola is scarier than COVID is not really explained, but it kind of feels racist. Ezra says we are killing more people with the lockdown, but doesn't provide any evidence, especially since lockdowns follow huge death spikes. They don't precede death spikes. We are now killing far more people through the lockdown than are being saved by the lockdown, if indeed anyone is being saved by the lockdown. Why are we shutting down restaurants full of 20 and 30 somethings, both customers and workers, when the virus targets people in their 80s and 90s? Why are we doing that? He also advocates, yet again, to send young people to work during a global pandemic, because he thinks that young people are less likely to die from the virus. Even though young people are less likely to die from the virus, they still suffer complications, but can also spread the virus to more vulnerable populations. The day before Trump directed a crowd of supporters to attack the Capitol, Ezra still will not rule out the slim chance of a possibility that Trump will remain in power. Uh, Let's put aside any lingering possibilities, however faint, that Trump might pull a victory out of the jaws of defeat. I don't think it's likely. There are some people who are waiting to the last moment. It's not going to happen. Let's move on with the assumption that Biden becomes president. But accepting that this is a small possibility, Ezra and guest uh, Ben Weingarten spend the rest of the show trying to claim that Joe Biden is secretly pro-China. Expect that this narrative will continue throughout the Biden presidency. Ezra ends the week with Andrew Lawton, where they both condemn the lockdowns. And Ezra continues to advocate for people to defy the COVID lockdowns by providing people with legal supports to fight these fines. And that is the week. So, Caitlin, something happened on Wednesday. (laughs) You don't say something happened? (laughs) Yes. uh, I don't know. I mean, I know you are are one who's uh, busy with your PhD and whatnot, so I don't know. I do remember messaging you during it, and you did not, you were not aware that it was happening while it was happening, but (laughs) I don't know how much you've digested since it has happened. I don't know. It's only been like 
plastered on every <laughs> social media page. Uh, yeah, so we had what could best be described as a, an attempted fascist coup of the U.S. Uh, government. Now, there is some like weird discourse, and I don't know where you stand on this, about like to what extent it could have been successful, whether this was like failed from the get-go, or whether we should like call it attempted coup because that gives it more like credibility than if we just like laugh at these people. Jody, someone tasered himself in the balls and <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And like what the one person also uh with a don't tread on me flag got trampled to death. Uh so yes, there's irony here and irony abounds. I would like there's a part of me that still feels ba- like of course, I don't feel bad. These people are fascist pieces of shit. But then the other part of me is like the brainwashed people who got like led into this by a uh, clown fascist in Donald Trump. And so like I still like the humanity in me is still there to be like, I, I quasi feel bad for some of these people. I'm just not going to spend a lot of time crying over it. You know, <laughs> I think, though, you have to think about where these people are coming from and how they kind of probably developed into these positions. Right. Or or. I guess they developed these political views. Um, You had a really bad recession, right? And a lot of people lost their job. And from what I've done in my own research, which looks at like unemployment and precarious labor during that 2008 recession, it was a majority white men who actually lost their job. It wasn't actually, you'd think the more vulnerable populations like immigrants or, or women. And the reason for that is because these people are already in really shitty jobs, for lack of a better term, mostly part-time and temporary employment. And so then women also, if you think about it, are like doing wonderful things in education and employment. They're actually outperforming men in some areas, in some regions, right? Um, And then you get the same thing with immigrant groups as well. And to these people, it looks like they're really missing out and things are being taken away from them. And then all that you need is someone to come in and use these people as scapegoats to help motivate that anger and just, you know, feeling very vulnerable because those people were feeling vulnerable probably at that moment in time. And then it it just leads and snowballs into this. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I agree that these people who you're describing become fascist susceptible in a lot of ways and will be the sort of next targets. But it is important to highlight I don't think these people at the Capitol were themselves the people you're describing. And in part because these are people who took private jets to fly down to this thing. Not only private jets, these are people who like took a weekday like to go all the way across the country to an event, you know? I mean, we've we've taken weekdays off to go (laughs) to protest in other cities, so... No, I'm I'm going to say like there's some of what you're describing is there. But like I think that yes. I think what's coming out is a lot of these people are are not the sort of like white working class, but more the managerial class or the small business owners. And they've been hurt by COVID too. Like I'm not trying to downplay this to to the extent that they've lost things, but like yeah. it's more of that class that was present at this uh attempted coup than the white working class generally, I think. But I also think that that's who gets associated with these groups is the white working class men specifically. And they're also the target of of groups like these for recruits. Yeah, for sure. And even like people that I know that were really affected 
Um, or more so like adults in my life that were, when I'm saying adults, like people older than me, because <laughs> I am an adult, <laughs> um, that were really affected during like recession periods and stuff. You've kind of seen them lean more into these these far right rhetorics. No, it's it's going to be like the one thing I can't predict is where this is going to go. And I mean, one thing that we're going to cover in the show right now in how Rebel deals with it is how we're watching the beginning of them trying to reshape their narrative. They're going to be directing this stuff so that they can make sure that they can like take care of their bottom line. But it's going to be really hard to predict where it goes, uh, like how the audience is going to uh, respond to them. Because as we're going to get to it, it, there's going to be a lot of infighting within their audience. And it's good that there's infighting within their audience, but I'm also nervous about the potential of the the victors coming out of those infighting could be the more worse fascists, that these people at the Capitol didn't go far enough. And those are the things that we have to be worried for. Much like, uh, like, not to go all, uh, <laughs> what is it, Godwin's Law, when you start comparing things to Hitler? Not to go all Godwin's Law, but like the beer putsch uh, failed initially. But that doesn't mean that the movement itself failed, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll start talking about the rebels' involvement, since we are a, a rebel show. And it begins with the fact that Rebel News indeed sent someone as a quote-unquote reporter to cover the January 6th event, which was being put on because Donald Trump was making a final push to his base and to his supporters to try to get uh, Michael Pence, the vice president, to do something that he legally could not do, which was to somehow overturn the uh, electoral college votes that was being certified that Wednesday. And so Kian was there covering this event. And by covering the event, we get an interesting look at how, how even in the moment they, certain things come into consideration. So you could tell through like Kian's tweets, which is all we have, because here's the thing. It's, it's just an interesting thing to just highlight. The only thing that Kian released from the event was a single three-minute video that got posted to Rebel News. And this single three-minute video was only from the, uh, like, prior to the rally that was held by Trump. So nothing from the actual uh, event itself, like, nothing from the event itself where Trump was speaking, and nothing from the actual insurrection that was taking place. The only thing they released was a three-minute clip. And so part of you goes, okay, they sent Kian down there <laughs> to cover this event, paid all that money to get him down there, and all they got from it was a three-minute clip. And I, there's two things that I could take away from this, which is one, it's bad for them not to release any of this footage because they could have caught people doing wrong, uh, like illegal stuff. But it's also a, an indication to me that they realized in the moment that this was bad optics, or they probably realized this, realized it was bad optics, and therefore decided that they were going to stop filming it. And the realization that this was bad optics comes from the fact that we know what happened to them after Charlottesville. And as soon as you start seeing people storming the Capitol and tear gases being deployed, that looks really bad for them, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, I did screen cap a few things that Kian did the day of. One of them was... He, he did tweet out that while the, the people were being tear gassed, 
there was a super fan in the crowd that wanted to take a selfie with him. Which I thought was a pretty stupid thing to tweet out because you just indicated that your supporters are the people who are pro the insurrection <laughs> and are in the middle of being tear cast. Uh, and uh, so even if they wanted to try to distance themselves by not releasing any of the footage, uh, Kian inadvertently just announced that, yeah, our fans are in the ca- crowd right now who are attacking the Capitol. Not to mention, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a Canadian flag present at the uh, at the insurrection. And one of the people, I, I was listening to uh, Molly Conjure, who's, uh, she goes by Socialist Dog Mom on Twitter, and she was recounting a story how uh, she's in the middle of, of, you know, the ruckus. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the first people to climb the sort of like, because they had like scaffolding and stuff, because Joe Biden's inauguration is coming up, right? So they're preparing for like the big pageantry crap that they do every inauguration. And so they had scaffolding up. And one of the first people to climb the scaffolding and start waving a flag was these uh, idiots with the Canadian flag. <laughs> and uh, Molly said she turned uh, next to her to one of these uh, Trump supporters that's right beside her that looked at her and went, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so he was upset. Because it's a Canadian flag. <laughs> Insurrection of the government. Totally cool. <laughs> that there's a Canadian flag as the first one up. <laughs> wow. It's it's like total, you know, national pride, right? <laughs> How dare this other nation come and tell us yeah. and support us, right? Yeah. Or even show any support. But I think it is, given that we're from the Canadian perspective, that it is it is always important to say that there there are deep connections between our own fascist movements and the fascist movements of the United States. And the fact that there were Canadians that thought this was such an important moment to leave our country and go to their country and participate in an insurrection is uh, telling. <laughs> but now that we've talked about that, we're going to go to the coverage. And Ezra, clearly, this happened on Wednesday. So Wednesday night, he's going to talk about it. Thursday night, he's going to talk about it. And, of course, Friday night. So the rest of the week was pretty much all insurrection talking. So the first thing that they point out, almost like right away on the Wednesday night show, is that... Today, there were massive protests in Washington, D.C. In fact, we sent our own Key and Bexley down there to cover the protests, stop the steel protests. And while there were according to Kean, hundreds of thousands of peaceful protesters, there were a handful that went beyond mere protest. Like this was the line that they kept on like reacting to when people would say that about Black Lives Matter uh, rallies. And so it's like weird for them for throughout the whole summer to be like yelling at Black Lives Matter and associating the most uh, uh, destructive elements of Black Lives Matter to the entire movement. Yet in this case... We need to separate the fact that there's these violent people and we're not associated with them. And most of the people were peaceful. Yeah, I, it's but <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, because then you also have like the people who are ramping up this uh, this riot, because that's essentially what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, who are saying quite violent things or telling people to do violent things. Right. Like, I think it was like even. um is it Eric Trump? I forget which one of his sons was saying just on the same day was telling people like if if his dad doesn't win, he's gonna come to 
the individual's houses of those who did didn't let him didn't let him win and he's gonna show them and he's gonna like he's almost implying he's gonna beat them up or be violent in some sort of way and so you already have people out there that was kind of egging people on to be be more violent and there was tons of people in the crowd that you could see them like chance there was chance Okay, not just from the people in the Capitol, but chants outside of people chanting, hang Mike Pence. You know, Mike Pence was supposed to be the good guy, but because he didn't do this thing that he couldn't technically do, they were ready to hang him. Yeah. They set up gallows outside the Capitol. They weren't put together well, but they set up gallows, you know? Like, I don't even know how you could, like, say this is mostly peaceful. I, like, I'll give them the one tidbit, which they're going to make, and and I feel like we might get to it as well. But, like, there is some footage of, like, people reacting to uh, when the some of the members were starting to break the windows at the Capitol. You had some members of the audience, like, telling them not to do it. Yeah. But, I mean, when you have a few people telling them not to do it and the rest of the cl- crowd is chanting to hang Mike Pence... Uh, <laughs> You, you tell me where most of the crowd is supposed to be on this position, you know? The the other thing is, so once once we get off of that argument, Ezra's next move is to say... Those are strong political views, and you can agree with them or not, but every one of those views was peaceful. There were peaceful speeches and chants. People were upset by what they thought was an unfair and unfree election. And I have to agree, there were so many oddities. And this is going to be a common uh, retort of his, and it's also how he's going to deal with, like, Trump's language. But I am curious, like, for you, like, say say you're, you're told that this thing is unfair, you're told it's unfree, you're told that there's been oddities in how the election, like, came out, and you're, like, told that there's evidence there. Now, you and I... <laughs> Are, are rational people, possibly. And so we might go, what's the evidence, right? But let's just say we believed that these things were true, that the thing is unfair, it's unfree, and there's oddities. What? How would you, like, resolve that? Like, what, what do you think is the next thing to do if you believe those propositions? Honestly, I don't think I'm the best person to ask for that, though. Because there are people who, when they hear things like this is unfair, it's unfree, it's not good, right? They Their suggestion would be going through like legal processes and systems. But I get what you're going at, what you're saying that kind of eggs people on, it encourages them to want to do something about it, whether that be to be violent. Because it's not, I mean, Ezra doesn't say this, but but involved in what unfair and unfree mean, they were being told that the courts were not accepting their evidence and were throwing them out without hearing the evidence and how shameful that was. So like they were being lied to, but like they they were not just being told that this was unfair and unfree, but that the legal avenue was purposefully being used by the deep state to thwart them, mm-hmm. which is a little different because like once you get put in that move where it's like you can no longer use the legal system to, to uh, change this unfair, unfair and unfree outcome. Yeah. Then it's like the next step is that you need to take control of the government because they're doing something that's wrong, you know? Yeah. And so they want to play this game where they want to walk up right to that line and then they go, well, there, see, it's peaceful. Don't worry about it. But they, because they know if they cross that line to say that the proper response to this is violence, 
they know they're going to get kicked off all their media platforms. <laughs> so it's it's still the day of, and now we're going to get some theories. So he's going to speculate off the cuff. And he's speculating on the fact that why did the police presence look the way that it did? Is it really possible that a couple of dozen protesters armed with maybe sticks and flags could physically break their way into the Capitol building? I don't know. Maybe it was a trap. Maybe they were agents provocateurs. Maybe the capital of a deep state where the uh, Democrat-dominated FBI and the Democrat-dominated Washington, D.C. Metro Police and the Democrat-dominated deep state are headquartered. Maybe they sort of, I don't know, let the protesters in knowing what a PR disaster it would be. That's just speculation on my part. Sounds right. <laughs> this was sort of around the time when uh, you started hearing Antifa stuff. So I think because I don't know if anyone's gone online right now, there's tons of people who think that all the rioters were, in fact, Antifa members and not right wingers. But uh, this was sort of before those narratives started coalescing. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a similar attitude. It's it's, uh, you know, you could see they're going through like certain stages of grief, which is like <laughs> it was mostly peaceful. Uh they they probably should have done something because it was fair and it was unfree. So the the Democrats deserved it. Uh, <laughs> and even if uh, it they should have been able to do it, they didn't in fact do it because it was really secret deep state FBI that allowed them to do it. <laughs> he also says that the people in Pelosi's office were unarmed ragamuffins. There were some incredible images. People standing right in the hall of the debate. People sitting in Nancy Pelosi's own chair. Is that really possible for an unarmed ragamuffin to achieve? And I haven't seen a lot of evidence uh, to suggest that they were or weren't unarmed, but I, I think that's kind of besides the point. Then uh, this is my, my other favorite. Ezra's, Ezra's big evidence for why, why these people were not conservatives, they weren't uh, MAGA people, is because... I've been watching conservative protests for years. I've never in my life seen conservatives smash a window or paint graffiti. I saw that today. I don't know, maybe that's the conspiratorial side of me. I have no uh, proof of anything. I'm just asking questions because it seems odd to have violence on the right. Have you ever seen a conservative behave violently? <laughs> Many times. <laughs> just in my everyday life. It doesn't have to be on the news. I vaguely recall on our show talking about Ezra being cool with people running over protesters. I mean, I'm not for physical assault, but I tell you, if a guy's blocking a truck and if he's a trespasser himself and he's got an illegal fence, you know, I don't prescribe violence. I certainly don't. Not that that guy was hurt, but you can understand why a guy who needs to fill up with gas because maybe his car's going to run out of gas or he needs to whatever reason, you can understand the frustration there. And I blame the cops who are right there allowing that to happen. I, I'm not for violence, but I can understand it. I also vaguely recall Ezra thinking it's totally okay to shoot vegan activists on a turkey farm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you bring 30 people onto my backyard when my children are there. That's not something I'm going to turn the other cheek on too quickly. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm in, a, in a quiet rage right now. You can go back in our catalog to find those uh, wonderful stories. But uh, Ezra himself seems to be okay with violence in, in certain instances. Ezra then uh, uh, gives a very tepid, 
violence is bad speech. So I will give him some credit. Although I realize that the reason why he's doing this is possibly to save face and uh, not lose his ability to post things on YouTube. But he goes, violence is bad, even if uh, it's in MAGA hats. I didn't like it. Uh, for years, I've railed against political violence. Violence or the threat of violence for a political goal, we have a name for that. Terrorism. And even if we are sympathetic to Donald Trump, which we are, especially if we are sympathetic to Donald Trump, we have to rule out violence. That's one of the differences between being a supporter of the Republicans or a supporter of the Democrats. A lot of people are online saying that the left has taught the right this lesson. I mean, going back a decade, it was the Democrats that physically occupied and intimidated legislators in Wisconsin. But then he immediately pivots to the idea that the left wing is much worse, though, and does all kinds of terrible stuff. So even when he gives this tepid, it's even bad when we do it. He has to point out that it's really the leftists who are really terrible. And of course, this is this is what we're going to get now from the rest of eternity. Well, I mean, like we were already getting it already. But then he ends the segment by talking about how the rebels now going to be taken off the Internet. And so we need to fundraise, 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 which is, uh, yeah, we expected that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he always has that threat, like the rebel is going to lose funds because of COVID. Censorship is going to ruin the rebel. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say. I think there might be a legitimate threat to, to them this time. <laughs> you know? I think that would be difficult. No, I think that would actually be very difficult because they're not the ones that are directly saying, like, go do these things. They're just reporting their opinions and thoughts on those things happening. It depends on how these uh, social media companies start to react to this stuff, though. Because even though they they weren't, say, calling for the insurrection. Uh, Ezra does mention, I think in the next episode, one of these episodes, Ezra does mention at the end of the show that they received a message from YouTube that they need to either edit or take down their content that calls into question the election. We literally today got a warning from our masters at YouTube that we cannot allege widespread fraud. I don't know if we were alleging that, but... Um, we were told if we do, we'll be shut down. I just think that the threat is increased, but I do agree with you that they haven't said something so overt that it's going to put them, say, as in jeopardy as your more far-right news channels that were kind of openly calling for the insurrection. Yeah. Or it's not going to, you know, ban them like, like Trump is. Yeah. Ban indefinitely. Like, maybe I could see them getting, like, suspensions for stuff, but I don't see it, like, indefinite suspensions of their account. And I will say, if they do get taken down from the internet somehow, uh, and that like ruins our ability to cover them, I would be completely okay with that. <laughs> we will move on to better things. <laughs> so then that evening, of course, he has to get his favorite American colleague on. So Joel Pollack is on to talk with him. And Joel Pollack wants to compare what happened at the Capitol to what happened in Wisconsin in 2011. And I don't know if you remember what happened then. They, they, he literally gives no detail. He's just like, this is like what happened in Wisconsin in 2011. I happen to be plugged into this stuff, so I know what he's talking about. But do you know what he's talking about? No. I would have been like 16, 15. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
So what happened in Wisconsin in 2011 had to do with uh, redistrict redistricting that like really screwed them over. And this asshole got into power, uh, governor of Wisconsin named Scott Walker. And Scott Walker basically got into power. And the first thing he wanted to do was basically destroy the entire social safety net of Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, okay. Defund unions, basically kill unions. And so union activists uh, occupied the Wisconsin state capitol. Okay. But here's the thing. None of these uh, union activists were armed. They weren't there to, say, overthrow the government. They were there to peacefully protest and to say that the fact that they gerrymandered the state such that Scott Walker was allowed to like win and they disenfranchised people and he won by a, a small margin and therefore was going to strip the state of like its union rights, that that is something worth protesting and they uh, occupied the state capitol. But that is not the equivalent of a, a fascist insurrection of the U.S. government <laughs> because because you believe that the election has been stolen from you with absolutely no evidence that that is the case. Yeah. But of course, like Pollock is never going to sort that out. The only reason he's bringing this up is so he can go see the leftists who do it, too. And, and the reason why he wants to do that, he goes, the leftists do it too, and that's why we shouldn't be like the leftists, and we shouldn't have done what, what happened at the Capitol. That is uh, Pollock's take on this. This is the problem. It, it, the left and the media have tolerated political violence and intimidation for so long, and that's really where, where we need to go. There has to be a reciprocal answer to any attempt um, by the left to do this. So so I don't know. I, I think I think we're going to be okay. Hey, at least he's saying don't do those things. <laughs> And if the leftists continue, oh, so be it. <laughs> this, but this leads to the, like the most amazing thing. So like, again, the whole thing here is that the left is who tolerates political violence. But then as Ezra goes, there's a phrase I've heard on the left, um, diversity of tactics. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. It's, it's a phrase that has a special meaning. It means the left is united and they never criticize each other. It's almost like how leftists describe the right, though. It, yeah, it is. And like, I have, I always <laughs> criticize uh, my fellow leftists that the rights, like the right leaning people have infighting all the time. And we're going to get to it in a few seconds. But there's there's infighting that arised out of this as well, or arose out of this. Mm -hmm. But it's just amazing as a leftist who deals with other leftists, infighting is never ending. Uh, and I would say sometimes it's beneficial. Like I think working out the contours of your belief system is good. Uh, sometimes I wish we... Uh, encouraged more solidarity though i wish that i wish the infighting was more friendly critique than yelling at each other on twitter yeah or there's just a sense of like like superiority that i think comes with it yeah and that is just really obnoxious and sometimes that's why i kind of move away from social media especially <laughs> twitter no it's it's really a huge issue that's really obnoxious it's it's almost like a thing based on status rather than a thing based on seeking truth or or trying to actually find what's the more moral solution to a problem. And that's really bothersome to me that I, I just can't engage in it. And then when I do try to engage in it, I don't like the person I act like either. Yeah. So I just, no, because you, you no, I definitely agree. get I agree. caught up in it. And then there is a sense of like they don't know what they're talking about i know this i know that i know this 
And it's kind of sad because then I have to sit there after and be like, hey, that was kind of inappropriate for me to have act that way. Or even if I don't act out on those thoughts, right? Like to even think that way. And then it's like, really, the solution is for us to collaborate because they just have a different point of view rather than rather than what if they're right or wrong. I mean, there are people who are definitely yes. wrong. <laughs> I try as a, a more lefty unity type to focus that at either centrists, liberals, or conservatives, and at least try not to engage that way with people that I would consider more likely to be my colleagues, you know? Yeah, but you do get it a lot in like, even like subgroups, right? Of of leftist groups, right? Like you can get like Marxist-Leninists who act like that among each other. Yeah, I'm just saying I try not to go, I try not to go after the left ever, but like I do agree it happens. Uh, yeah, and there's another thing, and I think this also happens on the right as well. And this is what I get at with status, where it's almost like you're trying to prove or say the best thing that you can possibly think of on like Twitter or whatever social media platform you use. And it, it's sort of like getting currency by having the best answer, right? Like you almost feel like you've got status or you're, yeah. it's not a superiority, but it's, it's almost like you're post. I have Twitter followers. I, you're posting this for some sort of like social currency. You're yes. not actually posting this because you give a shit about the issue. And I've seen this over and over again in like friend groups that I have among academics. And I absolutely hate that. And I do it too. Like I'm so guilty of that because you get caught up in it. To me, it's like, it's less about me getting caught up in it and more of like, I realized that I want eyeball or eyeballs, earballs on the uh, podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah. But there's also things like sometimes you need that for a career in the future to get like recognized, right? Like yeah. let's say you are someone who wants to maybe go into politics or go into some sort of activism, if you can make a career out of that, you're kind of wanting to put the most, you know, hottest post out there, or the most, you know, <laughs> it's, it's true because yeah. so you can get potential opportunities to better yourself in your life and in those kind of fields. And I, I definitely do see that, but I also see it happening on the right. Like, what is Ezra fucking doing? <laughs> yeah, oh, no. And uh, I had made this comment on some, like, live streams and stuff like this. And a few tweets to this. Like, watching one of the live streams uh, during the insurrection and hearing the person who's uh, actively participating in a coup be like, we got 20,000 viewers in the chat right now. Let's go. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> there's, like, a level of just, like, a, a surrealness to this, you know? Yeah, and if I were to put myself in those people's shoes, I would probably feel some sense of pride in myself for doing something like that. Yeah. But of course, I'm not in their shoes, and I think they're a fucking dumbass for doing yeah. something like that. But yeah. <laughs> that's just my opinion. I was just like, it's a typical American coup to make it a branding exercise, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting statement, and it's just so oblivious that Ezra would say something like that. <laughs> Just as oblivious as his next statement, which was to say that... I don't know if not just grassroots or journalistic leftists, but I don't know if Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and AOC and Ilhan Omar have that in them. I think they say, aha, this is our Reichstag fire. We have 
the cause, we have the motivation, and now we have the means, we will be brutal, we will transform America, and we won't waste a minute. And uh, it's ironic, given Ezra's, uh, I don't know, defense, quasi-defense by uh, supporting all the people in the, the book Shakedown that we covered who are all Nazis by saying, it's all these poor people have just been hurt for their uh, ability to speak and stuff like this. Uh, to be someone who, who, and even the people who stormed the thing were people uh, wearing shirts saying four million or six million is not enough. Yeah. People were wearing those shirts as they try to take over the Capitol. So these, there was neo-Nazis and anti-Semites involved in this process, but it's a Reichstag fire that's somehow going to be used by the left rather than uh, the right, you know? Yeah. No, that's really sad. It's so sad because, you know, there's, there's people that that must be so traumatizing to see people wear those kind of shirts. You know, there's people who've been deeply affected generations. And I just, I can't even imagine like thinking that's something okay to wear. No. Cause I mean, there's Holocaust denial and then there's just being like, like pro Holocaust and thinking it didn't go far enough. No, it's, it's, there's like no words for that. That's what's yeah. upsetting about it. There's, you can't really describe it, but you know what? To that person, it probably doesn't seem like a big deal. That's what's upsetting about it. It's not even that they support it. I bet their support is wavering. It's not like unwavering support. It's something that they do as like a social fucking group. Yeah. yeah. That they actually don't see how it hurts them. It's not who they are as a person in their everyday life, right? It's not like make or break them if they have those beliefs or not. It's probably something that they socially got into on their free time and think it's cool and fun to wear something like that that's or they found some group that they could belong to and they're just doing it to fit in yeah no. yeah no for sure because i bet a lot of these beliefs for these people are a sense of like social bonding as sure. well yeah i mean that doesn't excuse it but like that that is definitely no. part of it yeah. but that's no i think that's what makes it worse because yeah. it's not who they are as people it's not an identity it's not who you like it's nothing that is going to make or break you to them, probably. I mean, that gets in the question, too, of, like, what should be done with these people to a certain extent. Like, I, I still feel like, even though, like, I'm, I, I'm of a position that I don't think prisons are okay or policing is okay, that we still live in the liberal order right now. And I would rather the law be cracking down on them than on other people uh, currently, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, we can't even say the words, like, apartheid in Israel in the same sentence here in, in Ontario anymore, but apparently that's okay. So, but it's the thing is, it's like, even though I agree with what you're saying, and I do think that it's not indicative of like the essential character of these people. Like I do believe in uh, the ability to change and to reform oneself. Yeah. At the same time, I still think most of these assholes should go to prison, even though I'm also for police abolition or prison abolition. So, I mean, there are, yeah. There are also groups out there that like help like men who who've maybe been committed of like some sort of sexual crime and teach them actually about why it's bad and how to like respect women. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a lot more educational that they'll have to take when they come out. Cause I, I have a couple of colleagues who do that as like part time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering maybe we could have something like yeah. that. Right? <laughs> like no, a first I... 
class that they have to go to and like yeah i mean like in our perfect system something like that is what you'll need to do but you'll need to have people who are educated in dealing with it the problem is that i feel like there's a lot of people who don't have degrees in psychology and don't know how to adequately deal with this who like try to like befriend fascists to make them not fascists and like i don't know it would be much better if we had professionals with this ability and the safety to engage with these people and uh and i guess like befriend them out of these movements in a way you know yeah i'm sure people with like social work degrees could also participate in that as well so but we're done we're now done the first day and now we get to the day after the insurrection (laughs) and uh it begins with ezra being mad at the fact that now Trump is being censored on social media. So so this is still before Trump has been completely removed, but he's mad. And he's mad because the reason why Trump got taken down had to, it was over a, uh, the video that Trump produced where he told everyone that they were lovely and it's time to go home. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election. And everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. But he still announced in that video that the election was stolen. So that's like why Twitter like censored that video initially. Because if you tell people that it's like, now, the whole reason you're invading the Capitol right now is still true. But I'm telling you that I love you and you're special and it's time to go home. Yeah. This leads to uh, Ezra calling Twitter and Facebook our new rulers and that how they've silenced Trump. These are your new rulers, by the way. It's not Joe Biden, it's these guys. If they can rule Trump, they can rule you too. You know, you can still see what Nicolas Maduro, the tyrant of Venezuela, has to say on Twitter. Same thing with the Ayatollahs of Iran or China's countless government propagandists on Twitter. By the way, you can't even access Twitter in those countries, but Twitter lets those tyrants use their forum to attack America and the West. If mighty Donald Trump, who is still president, who is a billionaire who received close to 70, 80 million votes, if he can be silenced by some nerdy twerp in Silicon Valley, everyone can be. But I I mean, it's pretty obvious to point out that Trump being the president of the United States has other ways of communicating with the American public, that he does not require a Twitter feed to be able to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Our new rulers, very interesting, very strong, (laughs) like usual. I've I've said this elsewhere, but I find the whole discourse around uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube moderation and... uh, censorship is just so weird to me because like part of it is if if i even if if we existed in my perfect utopia where social media companies were organized by like worker co-ops and like they create a democratically made terms of service such that certain people would be kicked off their platforms 
Like, I would be cool with that. <laughs> now, of course, like, I don't like Twitter uh, deciding who does and does not get to be on their platform. But I think in my world where they're worker co-ops, there would be no Trumps on social media. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, who knows? By that point, if we reach my utopia, you would just not have people like Trump because people's material conditions would be better off. But Yeah, no, you would hope so. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the ideal, right? Yeah. Ezra, at this point, says the only person who died was a protester who was shot by, we don't know who, and everyone else died of health issues. But no one was killed yesterday other than a protester who was shot at point-blank range by someone, we don't know who. Three others apparently had health emergencies and died as well. But there was no torching, no arson. It wasn't like the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots that destroyed entire neighborhoods and killed dozens. Except we did find out that another person died shortly after they made this episode, who was a police officer who was bludgeoned to death at first by a fire extinguisher before more MAGA people started hitting them with American flags while he died on the ground. So that uh, that occurred. But it's you could tell, too, Ezra doesn't get fully into it, but there was even an attempt by Alex Jones and like other people to try to like make this woman who was shot into some kind of martyr. Oh, yeah. But there's a sense in which it's it's kind of hard to do. I mean, she was part of storming the Capitol. And here's the thing. I've, I'm all for disarming police officers. You had one Capitol police officer with a gun got jumpy and shot this woman in the neck. And wouldn't it be better not to arm police to, to do that? But at the same time, part of me is like, I don't know, dealing with an arm, like an insurrection that was quasi-armed because there was pipe bombs that were left at the RNC and DNC during this happening. And there was also armed people who, who, who took over the Kansas City State Capitol and other, I think, Virginia State Capitol as well at the same time. Yeah. So it's like, uh, if we were going to have some kind of uh, armed pe armed people to protect ourselves against tyranny. This would be the one moment where, where like maybe we should have armed people to prevent these people from coming in. But I also love that Ezra says there was no torching or arson like Black Lives Matter in Antifa. <laughs> so therefore it's okay. <laughs> yeah, break windows, bludgeon a police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. And can you imagine if a police officer was bludgeoned to death by a Black Lives Matter activist? Oh, they wouldn't get to that stage. That person would have been dead already. That's just the contradict contradictions. But I mean, like, you can see that all over social media and people making those comparisons, which is, they're totally in the right for doing so. But it's just, it's nuts. And there was police officers we know now who were in the uh, crowd who flashed their ID badges to Capitol State Police to get into the uh, Capitol building as well. So, Yeah, I don't think there's ever like one bad apple. I just think it's just one bad career. Yes, Ugh, there's something yes. systemically wrong with police. <laughs> Honestly, like everyone that I met that does policing are not good people. They're just not nice people yeah. <laughs> and maybe i shouldn't say that because i yep. have friends that have even dads that are police officers and you know surface value i don't know they're i don't know them really that well but like they seem very nice but then i've really gotten to know some police officers and just awful awful people i think one thing i want to say is like they can have good moments but like that doesn't mean that they're like 
above the systemic issues because there is this one police officer and like video sort of surfaced with this it was a, a black police officer i want to say his name was eugene goodman but he was uh the crowd was coming in and it was just him versus this crowd and you can see him look down the hallway and see that the senate senate chambers were still open and he pushed the person wearing a QAnon shirt and then walked in the opposite direction from where the senate chambers were and the crowd started following him up a different direction and it's quite possible that he saved lives by doing that by like getting them the using himself as bait to direct them in a different direction. Yeah. And part of me is like, you look at that and you go, that person did a good thing, but that doesn't mean that the whole system is now great. You know? <laughs> and then there's, yeah, there's the issue also of like occupational socialization where you have these people who may be extremely like kind hearted and they really have the best intentions, but then you have, people who probably were in those shoes years ago who become socialized to the occupational norms that insist on socializing that person to the occupation and how it's going to become and if you're now hanging out with people who who think a certain way and act a certain way you slowly start to adopt those behaviors and those norms as well right yeah and that doesn't just go for for policing it goes for a lot of different occupations um most actually but it's so pervasive and pleasing at least what i've read in some some of the literature like it's it's very very pervasive where it's like you you're you're a new officer and it's like they need to socialize you to exactly their attitudes values and beliefs whether you like it or not working in corporate law firms would be another great example yeah medicine's a good one too yeah so now we get through all of that and now we're going to get to some more uh how do i how do i deflect and say that this wasn't in fact trump supporters and the supreme target for this is this QAnon shaman who was the guy who looked like the viking oh, yeah. that was uh in the capitol building and and the thing that's really annoying here is people who follow QAnon have known who QAnon shaman was and so it wasn't surprising that he was there but like it is a deep a deep fake if QAnon, as as Ezra claims that he's an actor, so therefore he could be a, a secret Antifa or like, a, I don't know, like a, a crisis actor kind of thing, right? That they always talk about. Where it's like, no, he uh, he was just a, a person who uh, believed in a lot of wacky stuff and would wear his uh, Viking helmet and uh, do some stuff. And he happens to also have some voice acting Oh boy, the pictures were spectacular though. This bizarre guy dressed like a Viking or something. Uh, here he is claiming to be a shaman at a global warming protest a while back. That's unusual for a Trump supporter, I think. And here is his actor for hire page. It looks like that Viking Chewbacca character is one of the things he specializes in playing for hire. He's an actor named Jake Angeli. I wonder if he was paid to play a role at the riot yesterday. I don't know. An alternative might be he is an actor who happens to actually be a genuine Trump supporter who dresses like a Chewbacca Viking for real. I don't know. It's hard to say anymore. I wonder if YouTube or Facebook would even let us tell you if we found out that he was a plant or a fake. 
Ezra then also calls him a Chewbacca Viking, which is kind of like besides the point. But I was just like, why is this person Chewbacca like? I do not understand. <laughs> I almost felt bad as a Star Wars fan that like I was like, he's wearing like a lot of fur. Maybe. <laughs> I don't even think he was wearing a lot of fur. He didn't have a shirt on. <laughs> Maybe the fur in his chest because he was kind of hairy. I don't know. I've seen hairier. If I had to like see people, I saw hairier than uh, QAnon Shaman. Then he ends He ends the show again. It's amazing. So he ends this episode by going... So so where did he incite the violence? I'm, I'm open to seeing it. I, I don't track every word the president says. It, can you point it out to me? And he plays the clip again from before, which is Trump saying that... Uh, that he loves you and you're special and that the election is stolen. And I would agree there's no like direct call to incitement there. But like that's not the clip that people typically think is where Trump was inciting people. And, and, if, and if Ezra wanted to, he could easily find it, which was during the rally before people stormed the Capitol when Trump said he was going to go with them and ensure that Mike Pence is going to do the right thing, right? And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Which is like, that's incitement where you go, we're going to march and we're going to fight. But Ezra's like, ask anyone to point out where Trump incited and you won't find it. So now Kian is on. And Kian is on because he was present during the attack. And uh, he reiterates the line that there's only a dozen of people that like entered the Capitol. And I don't think that's the case. I think there was more than a dozen. I think that was pretty evident uh, from the live footage that I was watching, that there was more than a dozen people in the Capitol building. And then uh, Kian brings up that there was people trying to stop them from doing this. And even though like that is the case, they weren't representative of most of the people in the crowd. And Kian claims for whatever reason that there's an internet blackout. Now he doesn't say it, but like I get the impression that that's why he's saying he didn't have a lot of content to use or whatever, or send out at the time when it was happening. Oh, okay. So you think that's like kind of an excuse? Yeah, I don't know. Like I felt that way. It's it's hard to say. But I do want to say like I watched multiple live stream in the moment that it was happening from people within the Capitol building and not once did their internet go out. Yeah. Then Ezra speculates that this is going to be turned into another Charlottesville. So again, I think he's realizing that this is going to create some blowback for himself. But uh, this has been turned into... Another Charlottesville, really. Uh, they're trying to have it as a defining moment to demonize anyone conservative or anyone Trumpy for the rest of the time. And then Kian goes... I think you're right. The left is definitely going to try and write this as, uh, you know, the great defense of democracy against right-wing terrorists. And everyone who has ever supported Donald Trump will be lumped in with a dozen people who broke into the Capitol building. And they're going to act like this is 9-11, the 9-11 of 2021. And... They're going to use this to restrict freedoms, as they did after 9-11. Just like they've decided how and when you can go into airports and, and change the whole process, they're going to change how and when and why you use social media. What was taken away after 9-11? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Unless he's trying to, like... Uh... They say these very vague lines continuously throughout the show with no connection they'll just be like uh this uh, worldly event this worldly tragic event and then something completely not related and they leave you with it 
Well, I get the sense that he's making some connection to the fact that their civil civil liberties was taken away after 9-11. What? What? Well, like in America, you had like the Patriot Act and stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. And it also ended up being like the uh, the NSA mass surveillance was like uh, the result of 9-11 and stuff like this. That's true. But who's that targeting? Well, it's mostly targeting Muslims, which is like it's a weird uh, empathetic <laughs> Muslims and leftists. So it's like weird empathy towards them. But then it's also how is this equivalent to social media, which is a private media company? <laughs> I guess like a monitoring what you're saying on social media why do i even have to dig into yeah. this why don't you just fucking say what you want to say can <laughs> this is what i don't like because look we're speculating now and that's exactly <laughs> what their viewers do so they're like ah yes 9-11 took away all my rights and now this is the new 9-11 that's going to take away my yeah. new rights of what being an asshole on twitter like yeah. I don't know. they just sit there and shake their head Ooh, deep <laughs> Yes, that's what I just don't understand. Like, just say what you want to say. He, oh, yeah. Then Kian goes, I now can't know what the leader of the free world is saying. What is Tripe saying? I don't know. <laughs> he's also banned from Twitter. And I seriously thought to myself last night, well, I want to know what he's saying. How do I do that? Because yeah. I, I've relied for so long. How do you actually hear what the president's saying? And the answer is, well, a lot of people don't know. Well, if you're not on Twitter, there's this thing called television, and I'm sure he, he's going to do some sort of report or anything like that. No, if once, he wants. once Trump was removed from Twitter, he's now prevented from talking ever again. <laughs> Forever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they then, and I've noticed this is a new talking point as, as well, that there's other dictators who are using uh, social media. So other dictators, as if Trump is like they're grouping yeah. Trump into dictators. I don't know. So I I use the word other. Oh, I, okay. I think I think they they refer to the fact of like oh my god how dare they take Trump down when you still have like uh, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad has like Twitter right or <laughs> uh, and I mean he's not the president of uh, Iran anymore but like they they get mad at the fact that uh, he has Twitter. But then uh, p the part of me is like, it would be one thing, I mean, I don't think Twitter ever like uh, uses its terms of service like equally across its platform. But like part of me is like, Trump is currently inciting violence. It would be different if like, say Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was calling for the abolishment of the United States or like the d destruction of the United States on Twitter, which I don't know that he's done that yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then, as I said, Ezra was contacted by YouTube claiming that uh, his content was uh, giving credence to the idea that there's widespread voter fraud. And Ezra claims that he's not, in fact, doing this. And uh, it's I feel like they get to skirt these lines all the time. But, like, there is an extent to which he was saying it. At least Kian, for sure. Have you ever seen anything quite like this? Of course not. Even the 2000s Bush v. Gore can't hold a candle to 2020s everyone v. the American people. The Democrats, the mainstream media, the pollsters have all pitched in to suppress the vote, to manipulate ballots, to cherry-pick news, and to outright lie to the American people, all in an attempt to warp reality as they wish it to be. Now, on Thursday... In the evening, Sheila, or during the day, Sheila and David do a live stream. And one of my Twitch streams, I did an extra Twitch stream on Saturday where I, I watched some of this. 
and I might try to like clip it uh, and make a shorter version of it because we went on and watched some other shit that was terrifying. That you can go to our Twitch stream and, and figure that out. Twitch, uh, I think it's uh, if you search on Twitch for Imperial News but with a Z instead of an S, you you will find us. But uh, Sheila and David did a live stream where they took audience questions, but they began the show by condemning, like just hardcore condemning the violence that occurred, and again went through some of the typical points. And then I guess, Sheila, we should get to the top story of the hour, and that is the disgrace that happened yesterday in Washington. I normally don't use ad hominem attacks to describe people, but I will call those people that stormed the Capitol building yeah. a bunch of morons. Um, simply because what was the end game? What did they hope to accomplish? They get into the building, they sit in, oh, I don't know, uh, Pelosi's chair or some you know, other person's chair. Uh, they take, I guess, a selfie of them there. And then where does the so-called revolution go, for, go, go from there, uh, Sheila? We need to know who these people are, and they have to be charged to the most severe penalty that you can do for this kind of action. This is not us, Sheila. This is not conservatives. It could have been Antifa. We don't know yet, but it could be conservatives are never violent, so this couldn't have been conservatives. And even if it was conservatives, it's because people made fun of people with MAGA hats and you push them over the line. It's basically the message we're getting from them. But then there's two things that stood out to me from this thing that like really annoy me. Is David was very adamant that the right wing is the party of law and order and therefore we should be against... Uh, these violent acts at the Capitol, but they're the same people who I mentioned in my last point for the uh, Imperial Roundup that even on their show on Friday night, the final thing they ended with is that we need people to defy these lockdowns and we're going to defend you in court. So they're telling the right audience to currently violate the law. And yet they're saying like, we can't attack the Capitol because we're the law and order party. <sighs> yeah, there's, yeah. A lot of contradictions in what they say, but we we go over that all the time. But I can see definitely like saying conservatives are big on law and order. I mean, at least in the states, I don't know so much about Canada, but then you have all these like Republican presidents who go on about law and order, or they use it as talking points for when they run for elections, or or they try to like you know uh, magnify when a crime is being committed in certain areas to help with them win elections. But we, we know what the talking point is. The reason why they're for law and order is not because they're actually for law and order for white people. No, it's to arrest black and brown people. Yes. Yeah. I know. Yes. But it, it and indigenous like a, people. Yeah. But it is a talking point, especially in the States. Like, I don't know so much here in Canada. It can be. Yeah. Like I, I can't, I can't think of it. Usually, like, our conservative talking point is the deficit. We need to do something about the deficit always, all the yeah. time. <laughs> we always need to do something about the deficit. Yeah. Right? But, like, you go in the States and you get this, like, reoccurring cycle of, like, the war on drugs, right? The war on crime. <laughs> war on terror. And it's all about law and order. And one member of Nixon's uh, administration 
was very clear coming out saying the reason why they started the war on drugs was specifically to clamp down on black people. Yeah. Well, Rudy uh, Giuliani, when he was he's mayor of New York. Yeah. Yeah. His whole platform was to reduce crime in New York. That's how he won. That was the only reason he won was because he put up this huge narrative of like, there's just so much crime in New York and I'm going to like crack the whip and like <laughs> get it solved. Right. Yeah. So I I can see like on the, if you're going to say conservative really broadly and then go to Republicans, which are just like this extreme right conservative version of what we have in Canada, then yeah. But like you hardly hear that in Canada. So it's kind of odd. It is, it is the fascist move too. Like the fascists really love order. That's their main thing. I mean, you hear it in Jordan Peterson as well, right? The feminine is chaos and the masculine is order, right? Like they really love order. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to me because they're so against dictatorships and uh, any sort of like overtly authority, but yet they love the idea of order, which I feel like but they're not they're what, pretty what, conjoint with each other. But they're not really against dictatorships. They want their own dictatorship. Like they just can't admit no, to course. it. Like that's the whole point of people on the right wing. Is like they're obsessed with their strong man daddy figures that they want to control them. You know, and yeah. they they particularly want to their strong man daddy to protect them from the invading other. Like that's that's yeah. always what's happening. That's true. Yeah. I just psychoanalyzed all of conservatism. Yeah, but that's <laughs> you're doing the analysis, but I'm saying, like, on a surface level, this is what they're thinking. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if they go that deep into thinking about that. No, I'm talking about their id. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense to me when you say those things. I totally get that. We can also do many different types of analysis. <laughs> but, like, I'm just trying to say, I think it's funny how they always say these things, but they're so quick. It's just so many contradictions. I will, I will end with the David and Sheila uh, chat that they had where they got, so the whole time they're doing their live stream, they're getting all these super chat questions, right? Which is where people donate money on YouTube and then they read the question. And the question that one of them got, or well, they both got, it was literally asking them, it was like, okay, so you say that this election is stolen, and I think that it's stolen. And we go through all the legal things, and they fail. So what are we supposed to do about it? Defy law and order. And Sheila, I'll, I'll play it, because Sheila try, like answers this question by completely not answering the question. <laughs> because. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, David Anderson gives us $10. What should patriots do when an election is stolen by criminals in office who will solidify their power, silence their opposition, and prevent fair elections forever? Serious question. Well, what happened yesterday will give the uh, tyrants an excuse to continue to consolidate their power. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. And if you go back, I don't know, David, when you started tuning in, but that Daily Caller, our op-ed, gave some great advice about what normal people should be doing right now, organizing, um, you know, like we're conservatives. We work hard. We accept when we lose and we work hard to win. We are introspective. That's what gave us, by the way, President Trump. Conservatives got sick and tired of losing and said, 
let's do something different. They worked hard. They got Trump nominated and you had four years of prosperity. You need to change something and quit doing more of the same. That's what conservatives do when we lose. And David Menzies does the exact same thing. And why? Because they know that they they know that the logical conclusion is to violently overthrow the government has that has like thrown an election and has defrauded you mm. or has done so fraudulently. And so you you need to do something. They know they can't say a, a violent insurrection is the next move. But it's like they're put in this position where it's like that is the end conclusion of what they're what they're saying. Yeah. And you could tell even on their their uh the YouTube chat and you read the chat as it's going by and people are pissed. Like there is infighting throughout the whole chat because you have people going, You're weak, you're globalists, you're selling us out. Like <laughs> oh, I love that word, globalists. <laughs> it's so feared by so many, but makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, for some of them it just means Jew, but it, that's true yes it is definitely a dog whistle for that but and i mean you had people you know uh with with avatars in their chat that did not look uh let's just say they were a little too western culture <laughs> uh you know christian crosses and whatnot oh gross you're, you're going to see some infighting occurring and and some calls that rebel is being a sellout and stuff like this. And I wonder how much it's going to affect them. I will say in the chat too, you also found people who were defending rebel and you found other people saying that you're both wrong. It was really Antifa the whole time. Uh, so, so yeah, so you're going to see some divisions in infighting on the right wing right now, which is interesting. Well, I'm glad that the left is all united. Yeah. We still have diversity of views. Nice and cozy over here. So we end with Friday, which is the day after the day after. And uh, all we get is basically Trump is perfect and it is we who have failed him. <laughs> this, oh no. <laughs> that was the, fir- the, the whole first half of the Friday episode was... It is we who have failed the him. And look at all the great things that Trump did for us. And we let him down. <laughs> I know it's really serious, like what is happening. But it's so hard not to see these people as just like really nerdy clowns. Like I can't explain it. Like it's just. Oh, yeah. It's like there's something so childish of what they're doing. Like something so not serious or even scary about what they're doing. But I know it's very serious and I know it's a big historical event and I know that these things have major repercussions, but it's just almost like the way they talk is like they're in some sort of fantasy film. Like, I can't explain it. It's just like, we have failed you, right? Like, who talks like that? Like, you're a superhero almost. Like, he, he didn't put it like that. That wasn't his words. But like that, that is that is exactly what he was vibing because all he did was highlight every good thing that Trump did, and now that's all going to be ruined because of what happened at the Capitol. Yeah, and it's like the thing is, what you're saying is 100 percent correct. It is silly. This whole thing is silly, but that actually is why it's dangerous. And and there's so many historical analogies here with the nazi movement and and i realize that like people don't always want to go there right but like look at this look at the QAnon shaman person who believes in aliens and like 
ley lines and thinks that like there's like vibrations in the universe that are communicating with them and like where they have the norse runes and shit which don't adequately reflect real norse history but it's like they believe in these like occult symbology as some sort of like western signifier and look at what the Nazis like the actual nazis believed like i'm not talking about the people on the ground but the people within the party who believed in like occult spirituality and like the Aryan race as being the supreme thing and and the Nazis were laughed at they they were silly goofy looking people who did silly goofy shit yeah you're 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 completely right about that but I think it's just like when you look at it historically portrayed now in textbooks and films and uh even even just looking at old films of the party being taped right you you kind of see them as this like very strong militant force you don't see them as these like silly guys that are just like super lost and fall fell into fascism right but that i guess is what is happening it's just there's a sense of where it's so hard to take it seriously because it's just like wearing a goddamn biking hat like (laughs) yeah I mean, and the thing is, like, the reason why we we reflect on that material now seriously is because we know where it ended up. Yeah. You know, we, we know that all this shit led to the death of six million Jews in gas chambers, you know? Yeah. And so it's, we don't know that that's what's going to happen here. We don't know that. And so it's like, it's hard because in having these conversations, people are going, oh, you're being hysterical. This isn't going to be uh, the next Nazi movement or whatever. But then it's like, but when do we take it serious? You know? Yeah. Like, I, I think people think in their heads that this was nowhere going to be close to an actual coup, that they didn't have that chance. It was never going to happen. But like, we don't really know that. And, and, I, and I keep thinking like, there was moments where people didn't know, was the National Guard being called? Was it not being called? Are people safe or not safe? Like, what's There was people in there with zip ties ready to take hostages. There were pipe bombs at, like, the RNC and the DNC. What if they actually did take hostages? What if there was someone in the military? Like, if you think about it, we, you know Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn was someone who was a Trump supporter. He was someone who, when... Uh, he was being investigated during the Mueller investigation. We found evidence that he was actually involved in a plot to try to kidnap a Turkey, uh, a person from Turkey and send him back to Turkey where he was going to be tortured and killed. Like we, we know he was involved in this like shenanigans and we know that he's ex military. So what does it mean that a general of the United States American government could have done this shit? And what if one of them was still in control of the military or had a higher position and actually sided with Trump in this moment. Yeah. Like we don't have control over that. So it's like, I would rather us like never get to a position where you could potentially have a fascist coup. We should be shutting the shit down now such that you don't have moments like this past Wednesday that could turn out radically different in ways that would be devastating for all of us. Yeah. But we should also mock them. <laughs> it's just hard not to it's just like so silly and so childish some of the things that they say yeah but i do know there's serious consequences to these things but it's just yeah yeah just a, a bit silly
proactive segment, I don't have much. I just wanted to say that the one thing that makes me happy about all of this is that whenever you see an event like this, there's tons and tons of anti-fascist activists online who are documenting the event, taking pictures, uh, making sure that these people get doxxed and identified and uh, suffer consequences for trying to uh, have a fascist coup of the American government. And I think that that work is necessary and I think it's wonderful. And I love all the people in, in Canada who have been doing that work uh, against all these anti-mask protests that have been going on where you have soldiers of Odin and other uh, far-right groups uh, participating in those. And so I just wanted to give a shout out generally to the people who do that grunt work. It's a thankless job. Uh, most of them don't get money for doing it. They just volunteer their time. And I, I wanted to add like to donate, like I don't know of any, uh, I know Yellow Vest Canada Exposed, they used to have a Patreon, but they're no longer in existence anymore. Uh, Anti-Hate Canada, you can go donate to them, but they receive government grants as well. Uh, but just try to support these people. And if you find them out there, uh, thank them for the work that they do, is is all that I, I wanted to say. I don't know if you have anything to say on that front, Kayla. No, I think you covered it. And with that... If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called imperial news. We also have a discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Friday at 8 PM. Also, I've been starting some uh, Wednesday night streams. I'll be interviewing uh, Alex Kane, who is a local black lives matter activist this Wednesday which might be tomorrow by the time this episode comes out. So go there to find some stuff. And then uh, the interview will then be uploaded and posted on YouTube in case you missed it. You can find all the links to our social media and stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And remember... That fascists should never get this close. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.